Hello, and welcome to another Cheeky Scientist radio podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Henkel, and today we will be talking to Ethan Becker on mastering communication. As always, if you want to learn more about transitioning into industry, go to phdsgethired.com, put in your name and email, and you'll get more information about getting our blueprint on transitioning into industry and getting access to our pre-made job referral network of over 4,000 PhDs. If you want to get these podcasts and our blog articles sent to you for free every week, just go to cheekyscientist.com and sign up on our homepage. And of course, if you want to download all of our podcasts, subscribe to us on iTunes. You can find us just by searching Cheeky Scientist Radio. So once again, we will be talking with Ethan Becker on Mastering Communication now. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, Ethan comes from a long line of educators. Um, his great-grandfather and both of his parents were influential, influential in the field of education. He became president of the Speech Improvement Company in 2006, um, carrying on the family business to the next generation, which is very cool. He holds two doctorates. Um, his latest is a PhD focused on industry and organizational psychology. So for those of you who are in SMBA, we told you how organizational behavior, theory, psychology, it's a, it's a field you can get a PhD in. Uh, Ethan is one of those that has... Uh, such a PhD. Um, he got this from the Harold Abel School of Social Behavioral Sciences at Capella University. He has a second doctorate in human letters from Fitchburg State University, as well as an MBA from the School of Business and Technology at Capella, Capella University uh, with a dual focus on international business communication and leadership. I mean, I can't even, how do you compete with somebody who has two doctorates and an MBA? Uh, he is a co-author of the best-selling book, Mastering Communication at Work, which you all saw. We'll, we'll show it again at the end. <laughs> and uh, Ethan has developed and delivered powerful, customized motivational training programs on various topics related to communication worldwide. In addition to group work, uh, he serves as a trusted advisor and coach to many. Um, he is literally a master communicator. Uh, while he's worked with business partners all over the world um, and in the United States, he also has unique international experiences. Uh, he's lived in Kuala Lumpur. Close. Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Malaysia. Yeah, I think we, we have a couple people in the association from Malaysia, uh, yeah. where he immersed himself in the Asian culture, uh, conducting research, training, um, and beyond. Uh, he coached and presented in countries such as Ireland, Germany, England, Japan, Australia, Singapore, Indonesia, Thailand, China, and Korea. And I know we probably have, for those of you uh, joining us internationally, I'm guessing we have people from a variety of those countries on right now. Uh, Ethan employs a patient and precise one-on-one -on -one coaching style, which complements his motivational group training technique. Um, he has obviously a very unique expertise, um, both uh, you know, in terms of business communication and, and as well as personal um, hiring and beyond. Uh, he uh, does executive communication training, leadership and management communication training, presentation skills, motivational speaking, persuasion, negotiation, dealing with conflict, and more. Well, hopefully this will not be our last webinar together because I think that'd be a waste. Um, hey. <laughs> thank you for joining us, Ethan. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for the invite. I'm happy to be here. Great. And, you know, we have many people on here. As you know, our audience, uh, for the most part, they're people with uh, highly technical backgrounds, uh, PhDs, specifically in STEM, science, technology, engineering, math, social sciences, uh, and everything in between, looking to get into uh, a totally different sector for the most part. They're looking to get jobs in business. Uh, we'll use the word industry quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess I want to frame things uh, relevant, you know, uh, make, make, make the presentation relevant to what they're trying to do, which is trying to get hired, um, but also to, once they get hired, to be comfortable in the position and to thrive and not just be relegated as a technical employee in the back corner of some lab somewhere. 
right? So how do you how do you get hired first, and then how do you go on uh, and above and get into like management where it requires communication? And so my first question to you is, can you can we just start with some simple de definitions? Like, what does it mean to be an effective communicator? Yeah, I like beginning. I like beginning there. That's because mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of assumptions as to what that means. In in the what we like to call shirt sleeve English in plain terms, it means your idea gets through to the other person. You have thoughts and ideas and you can communicate them in a way that, that you're the receiver, the listener can, can have the same thought when you're done. Mm. Not always easy. It's not always easy. But if you can get your message through to somebody, you're communicating effectively. Yeah. And, and just as an aside, some of you, if you came to the summit or you've seen some of our, our talks in the group, we've talked about the way that people's neural patterns will literally mimic you if they're paying attention, right? You're telling a story, whatever it is, like a, a millisecond later, a couple milliseconds later, it'll follow your pattern. And so not to get all nerdy, but really that's what it is. Like you're communicating an idea and somebody else is understanding that idea. Yeah. And, and there's, they, a, there's a model that, that goes back to the 1950s known as the sender receiver model. It's not complicated. You have a sender, you have a receiver, and the, the, the sender sends a, a, what's called a message to the receiver. They get that, and then they give you what's called feedback, and it's a loop. And fine. Uh, it actually came out of Bell Labs, but us communication nerds were like, ooh, that's, a, that's good. We can use that. So when you look at it, the messages are sent with things like words, tone of voice, body language. There's other ways to... Mm. The problem is that there are sometimes barriers that prevent the receiver from getting the message. Sometimes mm -hmm. they have nothing to do with you, right? But it's an interesting model to look at because what happens is we look, what we can, what we can control are things like, how am I sending that message? What kind of words am I using? How am I organizing those words? Is my tone of voice getting in the way? What about facial expression? How do I learn how to do these things and not feel like I'm acting or pretending or being fake? That's yeah. usually kind of what comes up here. So we look at things, a good way of looking at it is it's not about you feeling fake or, or, or acting. It's about how do I make sure they get it? They, senders over here, receivers here. How do I make sure they get it? That whatever the it is, that message. And just that by itself, when you think about it, is kind of profound, right? As a species, we have figured out how to take thought and then control these articulators here, how the sound and air comes out, articulated in a way that another human hears it, their brain decodes it, now they have the same thought. Well, we hope. <laughs> we yeah, hope. no, that... So, and is... I'm sort of rambling a little here, but, but it's a nice way of looking at it because then you mm. can give yourself a little bit of a break if mm. you're not perfect. It's amazing we can even communicate at all. But with a little bit of attention, you really can improve the way you're sending your messages. And we can talk about that for sure. Yeah. And I mean, you, you dove right in headfirst to the barriers that come up. And I, I guess, you know, okay, so this is what effective communication is. What are some of the other barriers? One I love that you mentioned already was feeling fake. I can tell you right now that most of the people listening as PhDs, right, we're, we want to be very objective. Yeah. And we feel like if we're influencing or trying to get a job, all of a sudden we're fake. So maybe we could highlight that objection uh, uh, or I guess that uh, barrier and then talk about what other barriers exist as well. Yeah, I think if you can be open-minded to the idea that outside of academia, uh, it's foreign. That idea of objectivity is not as, we like to, I mean, people say that they're objective and so, but the reality is there is a lot more 
selling, mm. if you will. And I know that word has a certain objective yeah. by itself. Uh, but, you know, in that space, in academia, when you're talking with other people in academia, there is an expectation of objectivity. Don't try to sell me. Just give me the data mm. and be honest about it. And, you know, if, there, if there's bias, be honest about it, right? Things like that. But outside, when you leave that into the business world, people who have not gone through it, mm. well, they don't know that. They aren't familiar with that kind of thing. I just came back this weekend. I was at the NCA, the National Communication Association, which is all, you're either faculty or students. So it's like half PhDs, half, M, M, you know, masters. And in that world, all academics, right? The idea of business and selling and so forth is very foreign. So you got to be open-minded to that idea mm. first if you're going to be good at it. I think that's fantastic. And I, I haven't had anybody else explain that as uh clearly um, that we've interviewed. I mean, we talk about, uh, you know, even in academia, who are the people that get the biggest grants all the time? Is it always the best science? No, it's subjective. A grant, they can try to be objective, but it's subjective. Um, yeah. Who are the people that uh, rise to the top and become the top level administrators? They're usually the ones with best communication skills and they're, they're subjective selling. We talk about, even with a resume, we're used to peer-reviewed papers being very objective, but then a resume is a persuasive marketing document. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and, and to that point, actually, your resume, you want to tailor your, and maybe people have already heard this, it might sound obvious, but you want to tailor your resume to the position you're applying it to. Right. Why? You're not trying to be dishonest, but look, get yourself into the head of the person who's reading them. They've got a stack of resumes and they don't know you. They don't know anything about you. They just know it's on the piece of paper and they're looking at the piece of paper and flip, flip, flip. So they look for, uh, the eye tends to scan for certain things. We don't know exactly what they're looking for. That would be like magic. That'd be great. <laughs> but we can guess, we can look at the job description, use language from it uh, and, and map that. Chances are that the work that you have been doing, if you're interested in that position, you think it's a match, chances are there are things in the work that you've been doing that do match. You want to highlight that in the resume so that they get you into the interview. And then when you're at the interview, those are the kinds of things you tend to want to talk about. Because mm. if you only have 30 minutes, you don't want to talk about how you, you know, worked as a research associate on this other job. You want to talk about things related to the position. Mm. And you may not know that, so we can talk about how you figure that out. But. Yeah. And I want to dive deeply into that. L let me, let me stay back on, on the basics here and talk about something I'm sure you've seen a lot of mistakes. What are the big communication mistakes that you would say to avoid where, I mean, especially the cringeworthy ones. Hmm. And hopefully I'm not doing any of them. So. No, I, I, things like eye contact are really important and sometimes difficult. Uh, here's one that sounds so simple. Smile. Yeah. <laughs> now, I don't mean be fake. Like, hi, how are you? I'm going to be, no, but, sometimes our anxiety gets the best of us and we're there and we're very serious and so forth. Mm. Uh, when you meet somebody for the first time and it's a, you're, they're thinking in the back of their mind, could I work with this person? Mm. Is this person good? You don't want to show them the, the, the angry, tired, sluggish version of you. So you might take a nap the night before or in the middle of the day or before get, get your head focused on that and don't forget to smile. That means you might need to know what that looks like. And this, sound, this sounds trivial, this stuff, but the, when you first meet somebody and you only have moments to make an impression, you sh do you even know what you look like when you smile? Like, here's, let's just start with that. 
you know, put, put yourself, put a camera on. I'd say the mirror, but, but a camera's better because when you watch, when you record yourself and watch it back, mm. uh, you're not thinking while you're doing it. In the mirror, you're thinking and processing at the exact same time, so. But things like that are going to help you out. This is fantastic. No, I can tell you, and, and we've for some of you where we've talked more in depth about presentation stuff, there is great value in doing it in front of a mirror and recording yourself. Both. I mean, it's it's phenomenal. Yeah, great question. You summed it up when you said, "Do you even know what you look like when you smile?" Yeah. Um, so we we talk a lot about um, culture in terms of a company, but there's something uh, that you call the culture of communication. So what what does this mean? A culture of communication is when we go into a group or an organization and we work with multiple people at, at different levels. We define it as uh, a, a, a culture communication is when everyone in the organization can communicate comfortably with everyone else, mm. right, no matter what level you're at. And it's hard to get to. And sometimes it's the dynamics, the group dynamics that cause interference with that kind of thing, anxiety and so forth. So that's something, and it takes time to, to create and foster uh, that type of a thing. No, I think that's important. So for, for, for all of you listening, uh, you know, think of a, the, a culture as a, you know, a, a organism that's fostering communication, just like Ethan said, what, you know, how does communication flow through that company? And this is great stuff to even ask and, and be aware of uh, at an interview. So, and, and some of you are asking questions. Yeah, I can pull on that for a second, because that's great. You, you, we are judged, whether we know it or not, by the quality of the questions we ask. Mm. And the reason that that particular, I love that you said that, that's a good question because it shows that you have a level of awareness that it matters. It matters how we all connect and communicate. Now, you're not going to ask it with an attitude like, well, what's the culture like here? No, but you might say something like, hey, what's the culture like here when people are communicating? Is it uh, is it collaborative? Is it adversarial? What's it like for folks? Because mm. neither one is good or bad. It's descriptive. Different mm. group. Every group has its own culture. And even within a company, that particular department might have a particular culture in, it, in itself. We're going to get into specifics for interviewing here. Um, we're just starting with the basics and we're going to ramp up and we're going to start approaching uh, what it takes to interview successfully right now by talking about the essentials of meeting somebody new. So what are like communication essentials for someone you just met, whether it's at an interview, fun screen, whatever, what would you say are the, the must, the must do's? Uh, I mean, some of the obvious things, handshake, uh, eye contact, and that can even change based on culture. Uh, when I lived in Malaysia, for example, the way that, uh, that men shake hands in Malaysia is very, very, very gentle. You just, in gentle touching of the hand, and then you touch your heart from your hand to my heart. Uh, it causes actually a problem in business because Westerners will come over and the, the good old American, good firm grip, right? Yeah. And it can cause a miscommunication because mm -hmm. one person thinks one is arrogant, the other one thinks the other one's weak. In the general sense, especially for those who are listening in a Western culture, a good firm handshake, you want to practice with a friend, look them in the eye. And then what we look for Here's another model that, that, that can be helpful to look at. I, I don't have a, I don't need a slide. It's called the human business model. And the, the idea here is that we, every meeting that you have, the engagements that you have has a human part and a business part. And we tend to enter on the human side. Hi, it's nice to see you. It's nice to see you. That has nothing to do with the business that we're here to do. But it says, you know what? We're human beings before anything else. We are people. 
then, and maybe you've heard this phrase, we get down to business. And most of our time is spent here on the business. And then sometimes you go back to the human. Oh, I have kids on me too. That's great. Yeah. Okay. And then we get back down to the business and then we leave on the human. Have a nice day. So we want to, we look at, so the tip here, the suggestion here is you want to look at what can you talk about on the human side of the equation? Most of us go in ready for our resume. I have done this. I have read this. I have written, written this. Man, but think of the audience very well. <laughs> I know. Yeah. No, and this it's is hard. great. Please keep it's going. Hard. So here's how you do it. You look at, we call them third party topics. Uh, something we both have in common. This is human stuff that you can chit chat. We both have this in common, but it's not the business specifically. Now, think of it like a pyramid, and down here are very safe topics. If we talk about this, no one's going to be upset or offended. What do you think would be an example of that? Weather. Yeah, it's weather. Now, yes, it's a cliche, but you know what? It's better than nothing. I mean, imagine for a moment there was no human. We walk in. You're sitting there waiting for me at the job interview, and your resume is sitting here and the piece of paper here, right? And you're just waiting, and here's what happens. All right, ready? I'm going to play it out. So you've been waiting, maybe I made you wait a few minutes, and then here's what I look like. Tell me about the last job that you oh, awkward. That's uncomfortable. There's no human side. So we look for these third-party topics. As you move up the pyramid, you get into things that are a little more personal. Not the weather, but maybe personal about the, the city or the company. Hey, I saw a press release last night. Congratulations on the new merger, right? It's a little more personal than the weather anyone in the world can identify with. Maybe something you read about the company, and I know we've heard that you got to do research on the company. Well, here's where you can use that information and talk about it. At a certain point, it's too personal. There's a line. Mm -hmm. And that line's different for different people. We had somebody sent to us one time because at lunch, they would sit down with their peers and say, hey, how much money do you make? <laughs> too personal, too personal. Yeah. But you want to think about, and don't be upset or offended if they go over what's your personal line. Is mm. for us. We don't, you know, yeah. we're different. Let me unpack this for just a second because this is great yeah. information. So, so for those of you listening, let me tie this into some of the topics that you you've been studying and, and learned about here. Um, as PhDs, we go to the top of the pyramid almost all the time, right to the data, right to the source, right to something super specific, right to the fact that we need a job. We're reaching out to a stranger for the first time. Hey, I need a job. Help me. Whoa. Like you just forgot about all the other parts of the pyramid and, you know, a half of reaching out to somebody successfully is like you said, and you see a lot of this in emails and, and, and we've trained you on a lot of this. Hi, how you doing? Hope you're having a nice day. Right. And then go into the meat, like you said, down to business. And then you end with you know, thanks again for this, et cetera, you know, stuff like this. Uh, so I, I love that you, you mentioned that. And I think looking at it in terms of the pyramid and asking yourself, where am I starting on the pyramid here? How is this person's pyramid different than mine? As a PhD, you don't even have a pyramid. You have like a column. Right? <laughs> so say this person has a pyramid. I need to start here at the ends and talk gently and work my way up, especially if it's a hiring manager who doesn't have a PhD, right? Some non-technical person, like you said. Fantastic. Now, somebody mentioned in the chat about mirroring. Here's mm. where, I, you know, mirroring is a very strong word, in my opinion. I'd be careful with it because, you know, when they go like this and then you go like this, it might be a little awkward and obvious what you're doing. But you can pay attention to things like some people do like to get down to business a little faster than others. Mm. Okay, be ready for that. Some people don't. Some people like to chit chat and, oh, the kids. Oh, well, my kid, I was playing coaching soccer last night. 
Okay, be mm. ready for that. Part of the skill in communication is recognizing we're not all the same. And it's not that you're mirroring exactly what they do, but you're paying attention to how they are. Are they getting right down to business or are they chatting a little yes. bit more? You can, you can be okay with either way. And not what, is, what does their pyramid look like? And I think that's, that's yeah. crucial because yeah. for those of you listening, and save your questions, please, because we're going to miss a lot of them. I want to get through the meat here, and then we're going to take your questions. Um, at, asking how the other person communicates is crucial. And the two that you brought up are the two most common. It's a great spectrum, right? How fast down to business or do they just tell stories? As PhDs, sometimes we're on an informational interview or an actual interview and they're telling story after story and we're like pound, pounding them like we're a police officer trying to uh, interrogate them to get back to business and the data, which is not good for building rapport, correct? I can, I can explain that fairly well. Um, we, we know what happens in that particular area. And to learn this, we, it's how we connect with people. And to learn this, we go back in time, like way back, like mm. Aristotle. Yeah. And we like Aristotle because he was one of the early philosophers trying to figure out how we think, how we process. And Aristotle figured it out that we tend to think in one of two different ways. I'm going to tell you these words. And as PhDs, you probably know the words, but hold on, because I need you to put it into the context of how we look at these in speech communication. The, the words are inductive and deductive, inductive and deductive. Now, here's what it means in speech communication. Inductive, deductive. Inductive means I need to have all the background information and details first, then the point. Mm. Deductive is I start with the point and then give all the details and background information. Here's what it would sound like. Imagine this. Here's inductive. Inductive. Here's what it sounds like. Imagine this. Okay. If I were to say to you, <clears throat> hey, so listen, last weekend I was at a family barbecue and my mother-in-law was there and she said, you know, Ethan, I think you should get a new pair of sneakers to uh, lose some weight because you're a little bit overweight. And I thought that was kind of rude of her, but you know what? She's the mother-in-law. So I thought I would take up jogging and go get those sneakers. So I went to the mall to get a new pair of sneakers and it was really crowded at the mall because there's good sales on Sundays and I couldn't find a place to park. And well, I finally did. And this other guy cut me off and I was going to get out and confront the guy, but I just wanted sneakers. So I just you know, parked in the remote lot. You still with me? Good. You see, because see, then I went into the mall and I went to the shoe store and they didn't have any sneakers. They only had shoes. So I said I could if I asked if I could talk to the manager and he said, go to the sports shop. You still with me, everybody? Good. Because see, then I went to the sports shop and they didn't have any uh, white sneakers. They only had off-white. And I like the white ones because if they get dirty, you can just bleach them. So uh, I have these off-white sneakers and that leads me to what I'm going to ask you today because I don't want to get these new sneakers dirty when I go jogging. So could you tell me, is it going to rain? <laughs> is it And some people like rain? that. Some people that's like what, what? Yeah, yeah, that's what I wanted to know. But you see, if I think and process in an inductive way, I can't just ask you that because I don't think you're going to understand me. You have to know about the mother-in-law and, and the parking lot and the shoe manager story. In my mind, now, if you heard that example and you're kind of annoyed by it, thinking, oh, he's just rambling about a bunch of random. It's not random to me as the thinker. It's connected. Now, mm -hmm. Now, hold on one second, because that's half the story. The other half, deductive is different. It's the exact opposite. Someone who's extremely deductive would sound like this. Rain. <laughs> that's it, right? Now, I don't have to be that deductive or that inductive. I could say, see if you can follow this. Do you know if it's going to rain? I just got a new pair of sneakers, and I don't want to get them dirty as I go jogging. Mm -hmm. 
I just got a new pair of sneakers and I don't want to get them dirty as I go jogging. Do you know if it's going to rain? Can you hear the difference here? And the quality of communication. Yeah, because when these two people, when they meet each other, oh, look out. (laughs) There is a level of frustration that just tears the communication apart. The, 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 the deductive person, if I'm deductive and this person comes to talk to me, here's what I, I look like this. I look like this. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, what? What do you want? Right. And I now talk about nonverbal communication. What messages am I sending? <clears throat> it's frustrating. And the reverse, if I'm inductive, many PhDs are inductive and a deductive person comes to talk to me. I look like this. What? Wait a minute. Hold on a second. How did you come to the conclusion? Wait, back up a little bit. So the skill here is to, number one, know which way you tend to lean. Aristotle says we're both, but which one? And number two, what does, this is the most important one. What does your listener need you to be? And if you can match that, you will connect in a wonderful way. Ethan, that was fantastic. And I know this is probably blowing as many of your minds as it is mine right now, because you're probably saying, oh, wow, I am a very deductive uh, communicator. And everybody here, most, I would say about 90% of you are rain. Like you, <laughs> like you reach out to somebody on LinkedIn, rain. Like you yeah. tell them, I need a job this. And people are just like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. slow down, I'm never going to talk to you again. You're weird. Um, but at the same time, we also really struggle if we're deductive with inductive people, like they tell a story, whatever, and your body language is right. And this is something that I personally struggle with all the time. I know that they're like, a, you know, in communication, they're, they're more of an eye type, right? They're more of a storyteller, they're more of uh, inductive, whatever you just, yeah. it's hard to hide that in your face if you don't know what's going on. Yeah. Um, so I think that's great. And I would also say, just to put it in terms for a lot of you, what you know about, like think of a peer-reviewed journal article. It's, it actually starts inductively. It starts with the background and it gives, you know, introduction, background, then it goes, it's not just like that Western blot on the very first page. It puts it all in context and everything first. So there is value in that, even in, even in science, even in engineering STEM in general. So I hope that helps tie it together a little bit. It's, it's, and by the way, it's chapter one in the book. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's far back as Aristotle. But that's yeah. why I'm talking about it here. Cause it's, I know I'm, I am, um, I'm excited to, to, to read cool. the rest of your book. Um, I can show you the original Aristotle's rhetoric, which I think is over here, but that hurts. That's painful. It's tough to read, right? To read rhetoric is a, it's, it's a thin book, but um, the translation, there's only one or two translations into English and it, it's really painful to read. Yeah. Um, well, we'll leave that to you. And, uh, but let me, let me talk about, let me move from meeting somebody you don't know to building rapport. Like whether you identify them as inductive, deductive, whatever you identify what their pyramid is like, you've started it off well, let's say, how do you start to build rapport and keep rapport going so that you could say, let's say in a couple of weeks, ask for a job referral from somebody you met two weeks ago? Yeah, there, there are, well, first of all, inductive and deductive. The reason I wanted to talk about it, that's one. How do you know? You look for things like visual cues, look for their body language. If they're getting a little bit frustrated or annoyed, don't beat yourself up. You don't have to be like, oh crap, I blew it. Mm. No, no, we're not perfect. All you have to do is switch. If you're talking too long and you see them getting frustrated, just stop Mm. and then jump to your point. They'll experience a brief pause and hear your point and you'll come across as thoughtful because you're actually being thought in that moment so you got to pay attention to that kind of stuff 
We get into trouble when we ignore it. When we don't pay attention to the other person's body language. And that's why I didn't want to say mirror exactly. I know because that's been out there, but you are paying attention to try and match their tendency. Mm. The other things I would look at would be, um, we have something that we call the self-sell outline. And it's how do you sell yourself in a job interview or in a setting? Mm. There are five parts to it. And if you want, I can just teach it to you or, or if it's take a few minutes, but, <clears throat> but this is helpful and it's important. There are five parts, five things you got to do. Number one is what we call a can do statement. Somehow you have to indicate that you can actually do this job. Mm-hmm. Don't assume that just because they can see your resume, they've figured it out. Oh, he's from that university. Oh, he must be good, right? That just got you the interview. Yeah. You have to say it. Now, how you say that can be your style. I can do this job. Or, this is right up my alley. Or this is the kind of work that I've been working on a long time, right? Somehow you need to send the message that you can do the job. This takes us to the end of this Cheeky Scientist radio podcast episode that you have been listening to. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a review and let us know what you would like to hear more of. If you're interested in transitioning into industry, go to phdsgethired.com and enter your name and email address, and we will give you information about our PhD job search blueprint, specifically for PhDs who want to transition into industry, as well as our PhD-only 4,000-plus member private job referral network. Again, go to phdsgethired.com and enter your name and email address now. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional.